This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forrester, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. Well, hello and welcome back, my friend. This week, Alan Dumonceau is joining me to just have an amazing time. So Alan had me as a guest on his show, the Revolutionary Man podcast, um, short while back. And uh, we just had such a great time talking and I love his story. And so wanted to bring him on and have you hear from him and be encouraged by his story, his journey, and where he's at now. So Alan, how are you doing today, my friend? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much, Mike, for having me on the show. And I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Hey, my pleasure, man. I'm glad to have you on here. Now, I did skip one thing. <laughs> I got, got excited about jumping in and talking. But uh, so you're you're a former culinary Olympian. And until you and I met, I didn't even know that was a thing. And then as we started talking, I was like, this is stellar. So uh, you're a former culinary Olympian. And uh, then we were also talking about your program because you're the founder of the Awakened Man program. Um, so you've got the podcast, you know, Revolutionary Man podcast, and then you've got the program and then the the culinary Olympian, um, you know, aspect of your story. And it was just so cool. I mean, I love sitting there talking. We were, you know, talking through food and about men. It was like man, we're never going to get off. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, Man, it's great to have you on here, Alan. Let's, let's kick it off if we can. Where are you today on yeah. the business side of life? What does that look like for you? Yeah, you know, business, uh, the Awakened Man program, and I was just really going through a, another reiteration of things. I just find that over the last two or three years, I really started this whole program just prior to the pandemic hitting because uh, I found there was a need for it. And today we're just getting ready to go back to in-person meetings. So we're pivoting a little bit from from online stuff. So we'll keep we'll continue to have an online component. I have uh, the Awakened Man Training Academy, where a lot of all of our training resides in, and and we're also we're also reintroducing a, a Hero's Quest program, which is all about helping guys really dive into understanding what their why is, find a true purpose, and then working. And we I work with them for a ninety day period, and we really dive into all aspects of their life. So I'm excited about that because I'm. We're getting back together in in person, and not that online isn't a, a bad uh, way to get to reach people and to speak to people, but there's a different dynamic when you're in the room and you get an opportunity to work with guys, uh, you know, one on one. So I'm really looking forward to to doing that, and we're just just looking at expanding our marketing aspect as well. So lots of lots of stuff going on here as a as this as the Awakened Man starts to flourish. Yeah, very cool. Um, and what about on the personal side of life? What does that look like for you? Yeah. You know what? Personally, I just had such a, you know, over the last five or six years, especially we've had such a shift in, in my marriage. I can, if I just don't mind, I'll just dial back just a little bit. So 
in my earlier, in my early days, in my, in my twenties, I actually married my high school sweetheart. So at one point in my life, half of my life was spent with this, with this individual. And, uh, and we had two children together and, you know, grateful for, for everything that we had. But when, uh, when my life started to fall apart in my thirties, when, uh, the vision I had, the dream I had that we were going to grow old together and, you know, we'd have, we'd have, you know, matching his and her, you know, walking sticks and, you know, the whole piece, right? Like this is just this fairy tale idea of what I thought, you know, life was going to become. And when that didn't transpire, it was really a pivotal, pivotal area in my life because I went to, you know, a really deep depression for about two plus years. I didn't hardly see my kids. I felt so ashamed over what had happened. We, I ended up by claiming bankruptcy. I lost everything, not just my family and my, and my kids, but I lost myself. And it's, it's when during about a year into that, that I met my, my current wife and uh, she was just there as a support person. There wasn't anything physical at the time. It was just there as a support person. And it took a few years for, for things to take off. And, and so I'll fast forward where you know, really over that 20 year span, I was just a self-help nut. I read everything. I bought anything I could get my hands on that had to do with self-help. But what I found is that while intellectually I understood what to do as a, as a end practitioner, I wasn't very good at it. And so my life, as you talked about there being so successful with, you know, I felt my career, professional career was really successful. I you know, I'm a chef. I always wanted to be one. You know, I, you know, I, I wanted to, I had visions of being like Jack Tripper and, you know, having, having my own restaurant, living with a couple of girls, you know, all this have lots of fun. And when that didn't transpire, but I was able to, to compete in a culinary Olympics and, you know, win some medals. And I really felt like I had the cat by the tail. Right. But the challenge is, is that those are superficial things, right? It was all external stuff. It's a war rewards. It's, all of this. And I just didn't feel fulfilled. And so about six years ago, my, uh, my father-in-law passed away. No, not quite six years. Yeah. About six years ago, he passed away now. And, uh, he, I would say that he was like my best friend. Like we did everything together. He had two daughters and, uh, and he just never had that son. And I was that son. And, you know, we'd go, he's a big Yankees fan. So we'd go to Minneapolis. I live in Canada you know, about eight hours away from, uh, from Minneapolis. So whenever the Yankees are coming in, coming to town, you know, we'd make the road trip for the weekend and, you know, we'd go watch the Yanks play. And, and, uh, so when he passed, I really felt there was this void again. And I did I had this loss of direction. And, uh, and when that occurred, I'd found that there was just, wasn't anywhere for, for me as a guy to go. Like I was dealing with grief. I felt that I still hadn't really processed and dealt with, my first marriage breakup. And along that, in that piece, as I was trying to recover, I just about lost my current marriage because I wasn't dealing well with, with what was going on with us as a couple. And so when I found that there was nowhere for men to go, because let's face it, whereas guys were, we're challenged, right? We don't always want to open up and share. Like it's just really difficult. And especially if you're in a room of mixed company. And what I mean by that is there's men and women in the room. And it's tough enough to share with your best buddy, let alone a bunch of strangers. And so when that didn't exist, I felt that there was a void and, and I needed to do something. I needed to, to do this work. And I think there's a, you know, there's a saying that says, uh, 
you know, we, we teach or we do the work that we need, that we need for us first, ourselves first. And so that's why I wanted to, to create the Awaken Man. And it really is from a personal level, I've seen such a transformation in, in my marriage with my wife and I, and, you know, Kimmy is, she's just uh, such a huge supporter now and has always been a big supporter. I shouldn't say now has always been a big supporter, but even more so now, cause I, she sees a transformation. I'm more, I was consider I went from being the doormat in our relationship where I just felt that because of my, what happened in uh, my first marriage, that if I didn't, if I would try to fight, but not very hard for fear of, I don't want to be alone again and lose everything. And I had to learn and go through that process to understand that it's okay to speak up, to learn how to communicate and be, and still be present and powerful and hold and hold space for her so that she can have that as well. And I just think that because of, uh, because of her strength that allowed me to really rise, to give, uh, to get my strength to where it needs to be. Yeah. I, it's one that I've experienced it as well, where when I healed, I created space for my wife to then grow. And it's, it's really interesting the way that, you know, our healing, both as husbands, as fathers, you know, at the, at the core as men will create a space yeah. for our wife, our children, you know, family and friends around us to really expand, you know, like, like in a way that I never anticipated. I know that, um, yeah. you had touched upon that you were, you know, consuming self-help, health, self-help books and resources, but not yeah. really implementing them successfully. What did you see that changed from where you were initially using them and not, and not creating that traction to now, you know, where it's, there's the success with the reading and then bringing it about into your life. What's the, the difference? What changed there? Yeah, great question, Mike. I, the, the big change is that while I still consume, you know, countless amount, amount of material, today I put it into an action plan. So if I'm going to read a book, if I'm going to read a book or I'm going to take a program, the commitment I make to myself today is I want to implement at least one strategy that I'm getting from this into my daily life and how to, and, and how does that look? And, and, uh, and, and, and so I started to do that. I started to incorporate some things. So just for example, um, one of the things that I found that was really troublesome is that I really, when somebody would ask, you know, well, you know, so why are you doing this? Like, why, you know, why do you do all this work? And, and I had a hard time answering why my, why, and when that can't, when, when I couldn't answer it, that's when I realized that how much in our lives do we just do things up from rote, you know, or we're a bit like the zombie. And so one of the things that, uh, that I worked on was really worked on, on what my purpose is in life and what is my intent. And so I'm pretty consistent with it. I won't say that I'm perfect and I do it every day, but as best as I can, uh, in part of my morning routine now, another thing that it, that I developed from doing some, listening to some stuff with, you know, the 5 a.m. 5 a.m. club with Robin Sharma is having some sort of a morning ritual that'll include some meditation, a little bit of exercise and setting an intention for what I want to, what I'm wanting to accomplish. And then as soon as I start making those small shifts, right, then 
I could, no, I could see difference, but so could, so could my wife. And so could people who are close enough to me to can see things. And I think that's the big difference. It wasn't just like, well, I plowed through this book, you know, and now it's time to, and I would say that I'm a, that I'm a fairly slow reader. So I was just happy that I got through the book right, right on yeah. another one I nailed down, but I wasn't taking anything from it. I wasn't making notes. I didn't, you know, build, you know, little uh, book reports for myself. And so that was, I would say was probably the most profound change is that if I'm going to read something and reading now with intent, if I want to take a course and take it with intent, I may not apply everything in it, but I want to apply something that really resonates with me and, and take that, make that note. And that's really how I started to, when I noticed that I go, well, you know what, I'm doing this today now, you know, I have morning routine, you know, I, I set up a weekly schedule. I have intent on what I'm trying to get done in the week. And uh, one of the things that I, I still struggle with a little bit is being more consistent with journaling, but I introduced some journaling as well. So just anything to help challenge and push that growth mindset. Cause I think for me falling backwards and, and, and not, you know, I'm 57 now I'm going, okay, it's time to, at this stage in my life, you know, what, how, how can I give back and how can I make a more, more impact, not just for, for others, but for myself and, and for, uh, and for my family. Yeah. And I think the amazing thing is being at this stage of life, do you feel more alive and more energized, connected, focused than you did say in your thirties or forties? Is that something that you're seeing as well? Yeah, hundred percent I would. And I think the reason for that is that because there is a, de- a depth of purpose in there Whereas before it was about, you know, that really diving into that masculine energy of, you know, do, 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 you know, you know get things done, go, go, go. And I'm a type personality as well. So like, I just, just get stuff done, but there was no depth to it. It was just, it was just going hard. And when I, now as I, as, a, as I'm a little bit older, I want to do things with purpose and intent. And if I'm going to do something, then, then I want to, you know, come from it from that perspective. And so it's a more sustaining experience today than, than more fulfilling than it was in my twenties and my thirties. Like it was, don't get me wrong. It was great walking across the stage and getting a, you know, getting a couple of silver medals that, you know, there's thousands in, and you got to remember this was in the early nineties. So this wasn't when chefing was cool, right? There was no food TV, you know, there was no Bobby Flay, like none of that stuff existed. So this, it wasn't necessarily cool to be, uh, to be a chef like it is today. So, you know, while that was a, that was a, a goal to achieve, but it wasn't a, it didn't provide depth and meaning. And, and so I use it, yes, in my bio and that, cause it's, it's a unique thing. Like not too many guys here that, Hey, that even exists, right? Like we talked about right. in our podcast. So, uh, but I did learn a lot from it. It's just that today, the, the depth of when I do something is it has to have meaning and purpose before I'm, I'm willing to commit. Now, how did you, how did you get to setting the goal to be a culinary Olympian? I mean, like you said, it wasn't the popular thing. How did that come about for you to, to set on that path? Well, you know, I always enjoyed cooking. And so, you know, in my early, you know, as, as a young guy, my mom was a great cook, you know, and, and, and I enjoyed, you know, playing around in the kitchen with her. And when I went, so <laughs> I always say that, I don't know how, I don't know, maybe you remember these guys, but there used to be a, a Graham Kerr. Remember him? The Galloping Gourmet. Mm-mm. Remember that TV show? Okay. So there used to be out in the U S 
So here's a history lesson for, for folks. You can go Google this when we're done. Well, there used to be a cooking show in the afternoon. It was uh, the gall- called the Galloping Gourmet. His name is Graham Kerr. And he would cook all these classic French dishes. And just like, you know, Chateaubriand, like all the like classic, classic stuff. And I'd come home from school and I'd watch that. And I go, that is so cool. You know, and he would finish the show and he'd sit down. He always had a guest from the audience and they always have beautiful looking dinner and a glass of wine. Mm. And then in Canada here, uh, there was a, an actor, uh, his name was Bruno Drusi, and he was on a TV show. He had his culinary show. So there'd be Galloping Gourmet. And then right after that, this, this other one would come, would come on. I can't remember the name of it today. But Bruno's glass of wine was even bigger, right? It was just, I thought, like, this just looks like so much fun. They're spending time in the kitchen. And I just wanted to do that. So when I got into culinary school, my focus with my chef instructor was I wanted to be in a kitchen where guys at the time, lots of guys passionate about food, passionate about, you know, teaching and working with, with young culinarians. And so he found me a job with just that individual who ended up by truly being my, my mentor. And he was just getting started in his career with the, with our, with the Manitoba culinary teams where I'm from and competing. And it just so happened in our short, small little province the preeminent master chef in Canada at the time also worked out of here and he was on team Canada. So I got immersed into this environment of like these passionate professional guys. And it was just the experience. I have goosebumps just talking about it today. because It's been so long since I've told this story, but it was just so passionate. And I think that's part of also what motivates us as folks is that when you get into that passion piece of, you know, what, what really drives you, like it can carry you for a long time. And it did, it carried me for almost 20 years of my career. And so, uh, you know, going to travel to Germany because the Olympics are in Frankfurt and, and meeting all of these chefs from around the world and, and seeing them. And they were really the catalyst, like the, the professional teams, uh, we were regional, the professional teams had what you see today, like iron chef, they would have those competitions live, right? And uh, guys are voting on it. Folks are voting on it, and it just gave me such juice to to go and really hone my skills as a as a as a culinarian, but also in learning how to set yourself up in life and how to do things. So I think I got the hard I'll call them the hard skills from that career. Uh, and at the time, it was pretty a uh, pretty brutal career. I, this uh, what's the guys there? Gordon Ramsay. That was pretty much what my career was like. Uh, growing up with chefs, you know, yelling at you and throwing frying pans or whatever. It's just the way it was back then. Um, but you knew how to navigate. You know, I knew how to navigate and I just really felt that the it was a great career. So that's how I fell into it. It, was, it started as a young passion and then I just got really lucky. And I think anyone who's looking for a career, depending on the age of your audience here today, you know, if you find that advocate, that person that's going to stand behind you and, and you know, encourage you to do things, willing to spend time to teach you how to do things that, you know, that's the universe saying that you're on the path to something here. And maybe it doesn't end up by being a 20 year career. Maybe it's a two year experience, but I highly encourage to go into that experience because you're going to learn so much more than what that thing is. You're going to learn so much about yourself. You're going to learn about life skills. It's just, it's just such a great experience. Now, one thing I know I hear a lot and you may have as well is you got to set goals. Goals are the big like game changer in life. But you were sharing earlier, 
you set this goal, you achieve the goal, but yet there was an emptiness inside. What is it that mm. we're not being told that, you know, hey, goals are the way to go? Yes, they are mm. important. But what's the missing component that was like missing from from that time in your life and that you feel is is kind of not as talked about as it should be? Yeah, that's a great, great, great question there, Mike. I think the difference and the pivot that that happened for me was that while it's great to have goals, what we tend to focus on is that what that result will be. So let's go back to the experience, the example of the culinary and right, and, and then competing. So I achieved that experience, but what I didn't add into that into that goal achievement process was how does I how am I going to transform? What happens to Alan when he gets there? Because the challenge is, is that when we think of goals, we think of it as a, as a to-do list. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And then we accomplish that. But along the way, we haven't factored into the transformation that will occur. And so one of the things that, that I teach and work with men is the question I have them ask themselves when they're setting goals is that when you're done, I want you to be able to, you should be able to complete this sentence. That upon achieving this goal, I am the kind of man who, what does that say after that? And it's not about, I'm the kind of man who wins a medal at the Culinary Olympics. I'm the kind of man who, you know, has transformed his passion into purpose, who has, who found, who has found out that, that he can put, that he can do more with his skills that he thought he had, that I have belief, a higher level of belief of who I am. And I think it's that piece of it. And you need to spend time with really, what is it that in the end I've accomplished this? And so some visualization, some visioning piece uh, process, I, you know, I also encourage guys to do is to really holistically look at what's the transformation that this achieving this goal is going to accomplish for me. And if, and if you're struggling with it, maybe it's not wrong to go after the goal. There may be something different that you're needing to look at. And so sometimes I, I, I look at what is a transformation that I'm looking to have for myself. And if I start from that position first, then goal set, the goals are much more powerful. They're much deeper, but we tend to write down our goals first, right? I'm going to make my, you know, the old Jack Canfield idea, bet Mark Victor Hansen, write your hundred goals, write your, your bucket list and make your bucket list. But if there's no meaning and purpose behind it, then it's just a it's just a checkoff list, and so you're not truly growing as an individual. So you can complete the sentence: "I'm the kind of man who." Whatever that says, you say after that about yourself. Those goals will now have more direction, more purposeful direction behind them. Hi, Coach Mike here. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Living Fearless Today podcast. Man, if you're struggling with your worth, feeling you're not enough and playing small, honestly, this isn't your lot in life. There is more available to you beyond this podcast to help you uncover your worth, feel respected, be confident, and play bigger in all areas of your life. Grab a time at highcoachmike.com forward slash book a call to set up a complimentary session on where you're at today, who you want to be, and how you can live the life you've been desiring. Again, Head on over to highcoachmike.com forward slash book a call and take that first step towards your life transformation. Yeah, it it's one of it. It 
also I think gives you that why. And yeah. And if we haven't yet tapped into our purpose, can give us insight into, you know, what's my purpose? Why am I doing this? And, and how is this going to, um, you know, like you talked about, bring about that transformation. Cause otherwise yeah. it's like, Hey, I achieved the, the, you know, I succeeded at the Olympics and I have these medals and what it's like a hanging sentence and you just haven't written it all out. Um, so you, you had talked about being around all these chefs and it being a male, you know, environment. Um, did that kind of fill a void for you as well? I know like I've had those instances where I was filling like my environment with men who could give that validation. Like I was kind of lacking. Was that part of that equation or was it, was there something different for you in, in being in a male environment? Yeah, I think for me, it was a little bit different. Um, I, the environment, what it really filled with me is the, these guys were, you know, most of them, I would say were five to 10 years older than I am. And I'm the oldest in my, in my family. And I found that growing up, I was generally the old, all my friends were much young or were, would be younger, like we'd be the same age, but they're not the oldest. Right. And so they always had big brothers or big sisters. And so I never really had that. And my dad had to work so hard. We were, we grew up pretty, uh, pretty poor. And so my dad had to work lots and these guys hanging around there was kind of like a mix of big brother and, and father figures for me, you know? And so they were there to help and mentor and, but they were also there to, you know, kick you in the butt. If, you know, when, when you weren't paying attention or, you know, we'd be each given a task of, you know, our fundraising, obviously we're chefs. So guess what we did? We hosted dinners and they were all, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 course dinners. And so you'd have a particular task to perform for that, that meal. And you could be, okay, you're going to look after the, after the vegetables for the, the main entree. And of course you just didn't put a plunk of bro- broccoli spear on it. We were doing carvings and special things. Right. And so you would get judged, literally judged on the quality of that workmanship. And so, you know, that's where, again, you had, you led, you know, I had, I was in an environment where I really need, I really was challenged to rise up. And could I, I had lots of low self-esteem in, 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 in my career and, you know, and even in growing, growing up as a, as a man. And so I found that there were many days you know, when the team would get together, like I was scared, like for me, that was like the scariest thing. Cause I just, you know, I was, I like hockey. I don't know if you like hockey or your listenership knows hockey, right? I kind of felt like I'm that third and fourth line grinder. My mentor, like he was Wayne Gretzky. He was just by accident and fluke, he'd make this beautiful show pieces, beautiful food work, artwork. And I'm like, man, I would take me like three weeks to come up with that and hone it and get it right. And but I felt like I was in such privileged company that I could, that I was learning so much. So they were more of, for me, was more of that mentor group to help me grow as an individual. And so I think that that was more the experience I think for me. Gotcha. Um, and so when you had received like the silver medals, I mean, that's huge. You know, I'm, I'm just sitting back going, wow, I can't even imagine what you had to do to accomplish that or or what kind of pride that would give. 
you talked about, you know, like the low self, low self-confidence. Yeah. I know that, that it's kind of one of those will believe that, Hey, if I achieve this, it's going to solve and eradicate the problem that I have with my low self-confidence. Was that what happened or was that something you still had to work through afterwards? Or what did that yeah. look like after you, you were awarded with the, the silver medals? Yeah. You know what? For a short period of time, and I would suggest probably two years that yeah. that really did elevate my, uh, my self-confidence, the self-worth, the, the, the self-talk, all that piece did elevate because it honest, quite honestly, it opened doors in my career for me. You know, having that on a resume, I was able to get some positions that other folks uh, weren't able to get. But I found out, found as a, as time went on, that that became fleeting. You know, it, in, in the end, you're still stuck with yourself. And so, how many more culinary competitions do I need to enter before Alan's going to feel good about himself? How many other other opportunities do I need to go and prove myself to myself about? what what i'm uh, what i define my as who i am and so i found that that became uh, again became fleeting because the focus while i accomplished what i wanted to and i'd learned so much about it i still left there feeling like that grinder and not as the as the as looking at it as being as as important uh, and pivotal pivotal place in my life because like I said earlier, when I now today, when I think about it, I go and I'm, you know, I'm looking at you and I'm looking up to the left a little bit here, you're right. And I have a big, uh, uh, you know, big screen here of a uh, picture of all my, my two medals and all that work. That part of my life was so important to me. And now I look at it with, with more reverence because it is, it is important and it's the story I was telling myself, the story I continue to tell myself at times about I'm not good enough or this isn't, you know, it's not important enough. Sure, it's important enough. Why, why wouldn't it be? And so I can tell myself the negative story or I can tell myself a story that's much more truer to heart that there are very few people, maybe a few thousand that have something like this that they can go back on in the entire world, in a world of two billion or whatever we are billion people there it's it's very small group of individuals and so i think once you once i started to change the perspective of where i was coming from then that helped shift about so the self-worth part of it my you know the the type of story i tell myself and then that helps you know does move into other aspects of our life if if we allow ourselves to see that connection and i think as guys, aren't we, we're just really compartmentalizing, right? Don't we? Like, I got to keep this part of my life here and I got to keep this part here. Well, they all bleed into each other at some way, shape or form. And so how can I take that, that good stuff and bring it across in other aspects, right? Yeah. Who, who we are is like who we show up as within our personal and our professional lives. It's not, uh, <laughs> it's not, yeah. Hey, I'm really great over here. You may feel more confident at work. You know, that's like where that workaholic aspect goes. But yeah. as far as man, there's still that insecurity that follows you. Um, how did you, you know, you're two years down the road from winning the, the silver medals. Um, yeah. how did you then begin doing that inner work to 
start removing those voices that are dogging you that are going, yeah, you, you know, you've got to win this next medal. You don't amount. I mean, those, those voices and messages that we as guys fight with, that's, Mm. you know, just pushing that insecurity button. How did you, how did you dig in and start quieting those voices? Yeah, great question. You know, and that timing is right in and around when my marriage, my my first marriage spell, uh, broke and broke apart because there was such a focus on my career and aspect that I stopped paying attention to my personal life. And, you know, it's, you know, we're having a great conversation here about how personal and professional need to integrate and come become both full aspects of who we are. And so that really, I can, I can tell you, you know, this was in the you know, early nineties, you know, mid nineties when this, when it all started to happen. And, and, uh, I got myself a set of Jack Canfield's, uh, self-esteem and peak performance cassettes. Remember the old cassette deck, right? And, uh, it was after eight tracks, right? Right after eight tracks, buddy. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, the song would go on to the next track halfway through. Anyways, there'll be people there looking that up. What are these guys talking about? And you, (laughs) Anyways, I wore that that series out because what Jack was really trying to get across is that it was it's about how we perceive ourselves, and it's the and it's the story that we tell ourselves and the and the the willingness to put ourselves out there and and even though I did that kind of in my culinary career, I always felt protected and so I always liked the the story he told in that series about asking people at the break. He had one individual in there that was, you know, really worried about being embarrassed, right? And I could totally resonate with that. And so he asked this individual to, at the break, what I want you to do is I want you to go to the nearest 7-Eleven, go in and ask them, where's the nearest 7-Eleven? And so, and, and so the individual did this and uh, they came back and he talked about, so what was your experience with that? He said, well, I kind of felt a little bit embarrassed, but the transformation this individual had was that. It's an obvious, of course, I'm standing in 7-Eleven, mm-hmm. but why am I feeling embarrassed that I'm, that I'm asking that question? And so what he was trying to get this individual to understand is that it's the story that we tell ourselves. And guess what? You came back, you're still whole, you're still a complete person. Nothing really changed about, about you except your perception about who you see yourself as. And when I, had, when I heard that story, I was just like, yeah, like, I'm so afraid, or we can be so afraid to, to put ourselves out there and risk. And I think as guys, we've learned that at a very young age. We've learned it from being told, no, you can't do anything, do certain things. And then we get told that in our, in, in our, as we're dating and we're and in our marriages, right? How often do we have to hear, do we hear, no, honey, you can't do this. And, and so we get this idea that we're less than because we have all this rejection and really, it's just a matter of not right now. And how can we reframe what's happening for us? And how can we change our perspective on things? And so that was really that inner work was, and I continually do that even to this day is you know, just talking with you on the podcast, how to, you know, stopping the comparison about, well, boy, Mike's podcast is getting more downloads than my podcast. Well, that's okay. Mike's at a different place and Mike's doing different work. And in the perspective is, is that I'm coming in to do the work that I'm being called to do. And it's not about downloads. And it's not about all the stuff that we make up we think is important. You know, it's about what it feels like in here for us 
And when we're on the right path, then things show up for us, right? I think what you're saying there is so true because it's like we can look at other people and how, well, other men that are taking out their wives to dinner, to vacations and go, I'm not at that level of success because like Alan has this house and Alan Mm -hmm. is going to this amazing French restaurant with his wife. And we pile on those false stories, the narratives that just fuel and really reinforce those beliefs, those limited beliefs that we have. Um, I mean, it, from what I've seen, and I'm assuming from what you've seen, it's it's crippling to people. It's what I know I experienced. Has that been like what you've seen as well? Hmm. Hundred percent. I think it's the it's the one piece when we have that limiting belief about when we start to to describe ourselves and put ourselves in a box where we feel that we are not, we can't go outside of that because we're fearful of what exists past at that. We create this, this limiting belief. And again, that's why I challenge, uh, I challenge individuals and myself as well. When I'm being fearful and, and I'm putting myself into a, a box, what is it that I'm afraid of? And it could be lots of different things, but really who is it that I want to become? Who is it that I'm sp- aspiring to become? How, how am I wanting to show up? And am I showing up that way? And it doesn't, you know, let, let's face it. And I, when I ever talk to folks about life purpose, and yeah, you can write the really big one and whatever that big purpose is. I, when I talk about purpose, I mean with purposeful intent. What is it that I'm wanting to show up in today, tomorrow? In two years from now, I'm the kind of man who does what? It takes time to build new habits, build that individual. It took 50 plus years to get to where I am today with all the habits, good and bad that I have, the ones that need adjustings and the other ones that are working fine. So it's going to take time. And it's about being kind enough to ourselves to allow that growth. And if you're in a relationship where you have a supportive spouse and supportive family, it's being able to have those those deeper conversations about them, to tell them, talk to them about your needs, wants, and desires, and what it is that you're trying to get you're trying to accomplish for the family. And I think you find that when you start to have those, at least I have in my marriage, it's the moment that we started having those conversations, things shifted, right? It was no longer a, you know, a parent child relationship. Cause I think for a lot of guys, we get stuck in that, in our relationships. It's just, I think naturally how we're brought up in my opinion. <laughs> but I think that when we change that and have a different kind of conversation, a deeper one, then you know, we're showing up much differently for, for ourselves and for our family. And then the support changes because it comes from a different perspective. It's not about seeking approval anymore. It's about seeking collaboration. It's about growing and expansion as opposed to, you know, being a, getting a yes or no answer. Um, so in changing your like lack of confidence to now yeah. being confident, what are like a couple things that made that, you know, that, that transformation, that change, um, from how you see yourself, what are a couple things that, that brought that about for you that you would be like, you know, Hey Mike, you know, if you're in this place, I would, I would encourage you to jump into this so that I can bring about that same transformation. What would you lean upon for those? 
Yeah, if I I would if I was in that position, and I'm there's still opportunities. You know, I think we all there's different aspects of our lives that we're in that position. But the first thing I would do is really look at the story that I'm telling myself about this situation. And so the moment that I started doing um, that analysis, the analysis, well, why am I asking? Why am I telling me this story? And it's a it's a it's a root cause analysis. Really, is what we do. So they do that in root cause analysis and in project management, right? And so. Similarly, in our personal life, when we can dive in and get into the down to the five whys of going deeper into what's going on, so why am I saying that uh, that I'm not a very good podcast host? Well, because I don't have enough repetitions in. So why is it important for me to have, uh, you know, what can I do to have a bit more repetitions? Well, I can host more, I can talk more, you know, you start to dive into your piece, but ultimately you're going to come down to is, is the final piece is really what it means about who you are. And when you get to that final place, I can then you can ask, is this true? Is this a statement that's true about who I am? And I guarantee you it's going to be most likely not. Because we've told ourselves of this, we have this limiting belief in it. We need to, you know, dig it out, right? You gotta you gotta excavate that that limiting belief to get down to the truth is that once I recognize that that I am powerful and that I don't need to compare myself to anybody or anything else other than how am I, how was I yesterday to where I am today? And what do I aspire to get to, to become tomorrow? And we stay within that framework. It's amazing how much life around us changes. You know, like people just notice that you're, that you're a different individual because I've, I've focused on it. So if, if you're going to do anything, I would suggest a bit of a root cause analysis mm-hmm. in going through, uh, in going through that those why questions and why is it important? Why is this important to me? And if this is true, you know, and what is true about that, about this statement? Because I think you're going to find that most of those statements are going to be untrue or they're going to have a grain of truth. And what we've done is we've turned that grain into this massive boulder or mountain. And the truth behind that is that it is, that's exactly what we've done. Yeah. We build a story out of one point and it's like, you know, if I was, cooking alongside of you for dinner, it'd be like, huh, how come my broccoli didn't come out like Alan's broccoli or, you know, like (laughs) the truth is it's like, is that the direction we're going? And, and okay, what can we learn rather than what can we compare against somebody else? I think is a lot more powerful. Um, you know, and, and you saw that in, uh, the people that were instructing you, you know, you're seeing them and looking at them like, oh my gosh, you did what with this? And that would take me days. Like what you were talking yeah. about. It's, it's one of, okay, what can I learn from this instead of yeah. what can I use to be more critical of myself? Yeah. And, 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 you know, the big thing there is be willing to ask questions. And I think again, because we're so, we've been so ingrained to be, you know, for re- re- have a rejection and we don't want to look foolish, but the challenge really is, is that because we don't ask those questions, we don't ask, well, how did you do that? And you know, what it, you know, what was that, that process? Then you, st- then we stay stuck because I think the, the pain of change sometimes is, is too, is too big. We see that as being this monstrous thing that I can't overcome when really, you know, as I know, I'm, you know, we're, I'm a little bit older, it's the cha- it's the pain of regret that's more lingering for me. I need I want to ask that question. I want to get better at at what I'm doing, whatever it is that I'm doing. And so I hope that the day ever comes that we're clicking side by side, that we're asking lots of questions, we're having great conversation, and both our broccolis will be perfect. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you know, if I'm doing anything, it's going to be out on the grill. <laughs> right on, so, buddy. <laughs> that's that's my uh, that's my therapy and and uh, yeah. you know play space is is smoking food <laughs> and barbecue. So nice. Um, but I mean, the the cool thing is that that's another example of like how you can come alongside of somebody and compliment instead of that yeah. comparison. So yes. um, yeah, and and I think when we build community, I don't know. If, you know, maybe let me know if this is the way you've done it as well. Is it's like looking for different mentors that are gifted in other, like in, in differing areas, right? I'm not looking for, for men who are, you know, the finance and health and auto mechanic or, you know, whatever. I'm looking for different men that can be like, Hey, you want a great relationship with your wife? This is where, you know, you can improve, Mike, you know, Hey, here's yeah. a way, Mike, that you can touch upon your finances to improve the legacy that you're leaving financially for, you know, your wife and your children. So is that kind of the way you do it as well? Or how, how do you, how are you looking for mentors? Yeah, that is, you know, you've just hit the nail on the head and that's exactly it. I think the key is that we need, we need multiple mentors. And each mentor doesn't necessarily need to be a life mentor in terms of they're with you for the rest of your life. Like today, it's been all 92, what is it, 20, 30 years now. I still refer to, you know, my chef as a, as a mentor, but we don't talk as much as we used to, like rarely anymore because we've moved on and there's other pizzas in life. But today I have different mentors for the things that are important for me today. They're the ones that can support me for what I'm, tr- what I'm trying to accomplish with who I am today. But the nice thing is that once you've built, built those relationships with these mentors, that you can, they're always somebody you can go back to. And so I highly encourage people to make sure that they stay in touch you know, with their mentors because some will be with us for a short time, others are going to be for a long time, but never lose touch with those individuals. And, uh, you know, and, and yeah, I do men's work, but to me, a mentor can be anybody. You know, they're, lots, I have lots of respect for, for the women that have come in my life that taught me just as much, if not more in different aspects of my life, because I needed that perspective. I needed a different shift, right? I wouldn't necessarily go to my chef mentor about relationship questions, right? That's just wouldn't, wasn't why I would go to him. So I think it's important to have these people in career, like you said, creating a community and creating that, that P that, and that environment where you have those different aspects that can come in. Cause guess what? If you're having created that community, there's probably somebody in that community that needs that help as well. And you've just connected the dots for them. It'd be as simple as that. Right. Yeah. And I think the thing to realize is that as much as we may be struggling with our identity, that we're bringing mm-hmm. something to the table as well, that there's yeah. a life experience that we bring just, you know, it's we we're more critical of ourselves in the whole (laughs) equation and uh yeah there's going to be people that are looking to us to be mentors as well so 100 percent for sure yeah well alan man thank you my friend for joining me and sharing like your insights your journey just where you're at and what's going on um how can people reach out to you outside of the podcast here Absolutely. They can reach out. The best way to get a hold of me is go to the, the awakenman.net. That's the website. That's where you're going to find everything. We've got 
We have a group mentoring program there with the Band of Brothers as well. You'll find information on the Heroes Quest, which is a one-on-one mentoring program to if you want to really dive deep into, into your work. And so, yeah, that'd be the best place to reach out for me. And just want to say thank you so much, Mike, for having me on the podcast. It was a great conversation today. Oh, it's my pleasure, my friend. I mean, it's, it's just one that's like every time we jump together, <laughs> talking <laughs> and going deep and encouraging each other. So I appreciate it, my friend. Thank you so, so much. You betcha. God bless. Thanks so much, my friend, for joining me on another episode. If you found the information within the show helpful, please leave a review on the platform you're listening to. It helps raise the show's visibility so other men can join us in breaking free. See you on the next episode. And remember to continue putting yourself out there. Have a great one.